Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. I never cease to be amazed at how God puts the music together when David leads it. It just fits so well. Um, I want to give a few pastoral announcements as well, if I could, please, and then we'll get into the sermon. Um, Wednesday night, there's discipleship time in the chapel, as we've shared. Saturday night, there's prayer time in the sanctuary, as we've shared. We really want you folks to be a part of that. I really fully believe that we can bring each of our needs to Jesus on our own, but I also know that where two or three are gathered, he is there in the midst of us. And when corporately we get together for prayer about it, whatever that it would represent, there's real power in that. It boosts our faith, and we see incredible results. And as we become and are a church of prayer, we will not even begin to be amazed only at what God will do with us. Um, Fall cleaning is needing to be done. I'm going to ask you to talk with Hazel and um, Debbie. Um, because we're going to just be coming to you. We need to get this, th- this place cleaned as a fall cleaning instead of spring cleaning. We understand, but it's fall cleaning. And so we want to get that done. Um, we've got some things in the offing that may be happening. We don't want to announce and then disappoint, so we'll just wait on that. But we would really like to go through a lot of these rooms and just say, when was the last time we used it? If we can get away without using it that long, can we get away with it without using it at all? Um, some have begun to speak about becoming members. Um, I would encourage you to talk with me some more. We would love to do that. We'll walk you through a process if this is what we believe. Um, and I've already got that two teachers here, that lesson plan um, already constructed out. So it's, it's not that difficult and we can go through it. It doesn't take 27 hours and 48 minutes. It takes about an hour. And so um, you don't get any college credit for it, but you still, you know, My wife is smiling. Next Sunday, Jim will be here, Pastor Jim will be here uh, to fill in for us. We're on vacation, and Pastor Jim has been here before, and he's done an incredible job. I listened to his sermon, and it happened to be the Sunday sermon before the General Assembly, and it was incredible. You're going to be amazed, and if you haven't heard him, you will be blessed. He is going to be here. He will also be in the last Sunday of the month. He will also do communion. I've connected with him, and he'll be doing communion, so you won't lose that. But I'm going to encourage you all to come and be a part of that. <clears throat> Pardon me. And I'm also going to encourage you to be praying for him as well. Um, some of you have asked about our friend that I'll call John that we have talked about in the Wednesday night prayer meeting. Um, he's got some, uh, some meetings coming up this week, and I know he would really, really appreciate all of us praying for him. I can't go into it, and I won't go into it. But I would just ask you to remember John and his family, some really heavy impact he, uh, meetings. And so I'm just going to ask you to pray for him. Let's pray and just simply transition away from that to a sermon. Jesus, we need you. This is kind of a very, very, very needed sermon. And it's, it just, we are reinforced that it's what we should preach because of what you directed Dave to have us sing. So thank you. Pray, Lord, that we would learn from it and that we would be challenged by it, including starting with me. And so I ask you, Lord, to take this time together and ask you, Lord, to make this a time of when you come in to us in a new way, a fresh way, a challenging way, a convicting way, and then a transforming way. In Jesus' name, amen. It's pretty bad when you've got to take your glasses off to see. The the time was was August 6 and 7 in 1972. Lieutenant Jim Lloyd was assigned to fly a recon mission over North Vietnamese about 150 miles inland of the DMZ. As darkness descended on the flight, Lieutenant Lloyd encountered hostile missile fire on his position, striking his plane. His A-7A, Alpha 7 Alpha as we call it, single seat plane that had been on this recon flight was flying too low for radar detection but was damaged beyond being able to fly it back and he crash landed. His position was reported to be about 21 miles inland, and he was now down in danger 
as a member of the and as a member of the American military as well as an officer, he was a prime target for capture by the North Viet Cong Army. Lieutenant Commander Grady Jackson, senior bombardier and navigator, was assigned to the VA 75 unit of the attack squadron known as the Sunday Punchers in the Tonkin Gulf in 1972. His squadron was deployed aboard the USS Saratoga and he flew the A6A intruder, all weather, night attack unit. He could take a big payload, but he could go a lot longer distances as well. Lieutenant Commander Jackson, together with Commander Charlie Ernst, Ernest as pilot, were given the mission to fly, search, and rescue this man who was now down, this Lieutenant Lloyd. They took off, and they were told uh, about where they thought, where we thought they would be from a debriefing. In they flew. As they got on board and got on their radios, they were heard to say long, often, and loudly, Fly high, be strong, do not give up, aim high, fight, fly, win. Did you get that? They refused to give up. They were unyielding in their mission, and search they did. At between 500 and 1,000 feet above ground in dangerous territory where the enemy was, they still would not relent. They would not give in. Then they discovered where the endangered pilot was as radio contact had been discovered once again with the Lieutenant Lloyd, that he had crash-landed. The position of his plane was known, and Lieutenant Lloyd had tried to crawl away from the obvious place and the most dangerous place where the least possibility could be of him being discovered and captured. Lieutenant Lloyd knew the approximate strength of the enemy that was coming against him, and radioed for the flight of Lieutenant Commander Jackson and Commander Ernest to go somewhere else beyond where they were, a short place away, so that they too would not be shot down. As Lieutenant Lloyd was trying to escape, he heard footprints thundering down upon him, and he rolled over in the muck of the mire and pretended to be dead. The Viet Cong found him. They poked him. They prodded him. They kicked him. They beat him, and he was able, miraculously, to not move. They have presumed him now dead. They walked away, and as they started to walk away, and the steps started to get further away, the lieutenant gently looked up, saw he had one opportunity, and he took it. He jumped up. He ran for everything he could. He ran with all of his might. The bullets began to fly. The cursing in Vietnamese language was heard, and the footprints of the enemy were pursuing to be getting closer. But what they did not know, what the enemy did not know, was that he had a rescue flight coming in. He had some people coming in. They were going to aim high. They were going to fly. They were going to fight, and they were going to win. That's just how we do. A decision was finally made, despite the fuel of, that of those people on that flight, to call in more recon with helicopters, and we call helos, because help was needed. This airman was on the ground. This airman was praying with all that he had. To come home alive and not be captured. The rescue plane of Lieutenant Commander Jackson and Ernest turned on their flight lights to give placement to the support helos so that those helos would know about where he was. It did light it up though where they were. In the helos came and they lit up their lights, which miraculously gave night blindness because of all the lights to the Viet Cong. They could not see. The helos came in. They saw. The lieutenant, in trouble, waving, screaming, praying. They dropped down, they grabbed him, they pulled him on board, and they took off. But now they were going to be needing help to get away from there. Amazingly, everybody saw the VC. The 57-millimeter guns lit up like a Christmas tree. They leveled the area. They gave support. They gave deliverance in a lot of ways. And it said in battle, a literal occurrence of the fire of all hell came down on the enemy of hell itself. The stranded lieutenant saw his rescuers. He was on board of that helicopter. He was taken back to the base of protection. He was taken back to where he knew he would go home. And as they landed, something very unusual happened. 
Battle-hardened people, battle-hardened Marines, Air Force, Army, Navy, do not show emotion. But as they landed, he was sobbing. He was sobbing. He thought he was a dead man. He thought he was captured. He knew he would be tortured. But now he was alive and he was safe. Why? Because these men who were on that plane and these men who were in those helos and these men who lit up like a Christmas tree that entire area had surrendered their own safety so that they could rescue someone else. There is a difference, folks, between surrender and commitment. We heard that this week in revival, and I want to try to restate it as he did because he has stated it. Dr. Marlon Hodel stated it better than I did. Commitment is I hold on to it, but I commit it to you, to where you can use it. But when I surrender something, it's no longer mine, it's yours. They surrendered to the mission at hand, and they would no longer be theirs. They were going to find this man, they were going to rescue this man, and they were going to bring this man home. Let's transition. Let's transition. Jesus is speaking to his audience of a select few men. Transition slide, guys, please. Close enough. He is in the early ministry. He is calling to those he wants and those he is speaking to to do the same thing, surrender to him, to his call, to his purpose, to his desire for them and their lives. Surrender to be the identity. Surrender to be the belonging. Surrender to be absolute resignation to him, Jesus. The thought for the day is this, ladies and gentlemen. There are those all around us who are proverbially in their own rice patties. They are struggling. They may be in sin. They may be family members of yours. They may be friends of yours, but they're still in their own rice patties, and they need rescued. We are the ones who are called to be the helos coming in. We are the ones who are called to be the rescuers. Are we surrendered to be the people of Jesus? We, as we heard last, in the last few weeks ago, are to be the salt of the earth in Matthew 5.13. We are to be the light of Jesus in Matthew 5.14. We are to be radiating that light of Jesus, Matthew 5.15. And we are, are to be surrendered to the plan of Jesus in Matthew 5, 16, that we would bring all the glory to Jesus and nothing about it to ourselves. It's no longer us. We are surrendered. The question of the hour is this. Are you, am I, are we truly being his disciples? Truly being his disciples? Are we surrendered to his mission for us? to be accomplished by us, that he gains glory through us, and that for all men to encounter Jesus through us. We have a mission statement. We are to be growing in Christ, loving others, and making disciples. That is a mission statement that this church board leadership has, has adopted before we came, and it's great. It's a very good mission statement, but are we? Are we program? Are we performance? Are we stuck doing what we've always done? I don't say that lightly. This is a hard sermon for me to preach. I'm a pastor. I want the best for us. I want to preach good stuff, and I want us to share wonderful stuff that's encouraging. And I want you to hear this from an encouraging point of view. I want us to be encouraged to be totally surrendered. And be who Jesus wants us to be. Our theme for the morning, as you see on the slides, is this. Jesus' purpose. Jesus' call. Our response. Jesus' purpose. Jesus' call. Our response. Our text for the morning is this. Matthew 4 19, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, Matthew 5, 4, 19. And our sermon in a sentence, quite plainly, is this. Holy followers are holy soldiers to be holy fishers for all men. 
Let's look exegetically at that verse and break it down a little bit if we could, please. Come, for come follow me. Diute, pursue me and surrender to me. Pursue me in total surrender to me. I will make you poieso. You will become, you will be made to be, you will be transformed into becoming and being what I want in and for you, and you will become, your mission is to be not what you are now, but what you can become. Fishers, aliases, those who go to where they can find people. That means going. That means leaving where we are. That means connecting. We have been connecting with some people. I was hoping at least some of them would be here today. We're going to keep connecting. This last week we met a family that would be looking for a church, a family of four to six people. I happen to know one, I think you might, that they could visit and become a part of. There's some other people we thought might be here and hoped would be here, but we're going to keep working on them. And yet we need to keep working on more. We need to keep working on more. Quite honestly, I need you to be helping me. I can't do it alone. I'm the pastor, yes. I'm the lead pastor, yes. But I'm a person. I need you. You're needed. You're wanted. You're valued. You have gifts. You have graces. You have abilities. You have connections. You are needed. But more than that, we are all called to be fishers of men. This is how we grow. This is how we love. This is how we make disciples. This is our MOS, ministry, operational service. This is our AT, our advanced training. This is the mission Jesus gave the disciples then, and this is the mission he still gives his disciples now. Sermon on the Mount, he gave the attitudes to be, salt and light. Then toward the end of his ministry, he gave what we call the Great Commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Make disciples. Make disciples. And finally, his last recording words, we find in Acts chapter 1, Verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Samaria and Judea, anyway, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then he was taken from them. And they looked up. And what did they hear? You men of Galilee, why stand you gazing? This same Jesus shall also come in the same manner as you have seen him go. Expecting anticipating, having given power, having given purpose, having given our mission statement. How do we do this? How do we grow? How do we love? How do we make disciples? How do we become fishers of men? Point one. Point one is this. Have an experience to tell and tell it. Way too long of scriptures, but I'm going to extrapolate from this and just have it on the overhead. I want you to write it down. The, when you write it down this week, I, this is your Bible assignment for the week. 1 Samuel 15, history of it is, uh, is this. Saul had been told to destroy the enemy of Israel. God had told them to completely wipe them out so they would not be drawn in. And Saul had been told, Saul the king, not Saul who became Paul. This is the Old Testament, folks. Saul had been told to destroy the enemy. Saul had been given a mission to do, to deliver and obey the commands and the mission of God the Lord. We are given a mission. We are given a mission statement. We have been given something to do. Saul was given something to do. He was given a mission statement. He was given everything that he needed, and he did not do it. Saul still turned his back from following the Lord and not as performed, and in a quote, and has not performed my commandments, end quote, by sparing King Agag, and this is 1 Samuel 15, 9. By, not sp by sparing King Agag, boy, that's a mouthful, Agag. He made me gag. Don't laugh. 
This man, this sinful king's actions made God gag because of how, they, how evil they were and he was. And the best of the sheep Saul the king had spared, despite being told to destroy everything. The best of the fatted oxen, the best of the calves, the best of the lambs, and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. Only what was not the best was despised and worthless, and they devoted them to destruction, but had not even destroyed any of them. In other words, excuses, but abdication of the command and mission of God. Samuel became angry and wept all night for the Lord, to the Lord rather, in 1 Samuel 15, 11, And Samuel was greeted by Saul in a cover-up tone. Saul said, Well, blessed are you to the Lord. I have performed the commandments of the Lord. No, you haven't. What did Samuel say? Then what's that bleeding I hear in my ear? You not only didn't do it, you just lied to me in the name of the Lord. Wow. Wow. Saul covered up and excused himself and said, Well, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord, and the rest we have devoted. It's the people's fault. Does that not take you back to Adam and Eve? Well, it's the wife you gave me. No, you had your own decision. You were the leader and you were supposed to do it and I expected you to follow through with your advanced training and your MOS and your mission statement. And you didn't, Saul. Samuel grieved over Saul and did not see Saul until the day he died as a result of that. Then there was a response. David was made king. This is in 1 Samuel 16. Again, too many verses to put on. So I'm just going to walk it through with you if I could. Samuel was confronted over continued grief for Saul. Don't do it. There comes a time, folks, and it's horrible when even God releases the person into their own sin. They've gone so far that even God turns his back. We read other places. Ephraim is joined to her idols, let her alone. We read the words of Scripture. I'm not going to say the word. I see kids. That they have gone after other gods. Leave them alone. They have prostituted themselves to another god. Leave them alone. Let me say something that's very convicting and very dangerous for a pastor to say, but I feel I need to. Can I do that with you, please? And it's this. If we are not being salt and light, if we are not interfacing and interacting and fishing for men, have we not done the same? Have we not done the same? Samuel then went and obeyed the Lord. He went to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem to anoint a different king for the Jews. And folks, that was deadly. If Saul had found out that he went to anoint another person for king, A, Samuel would have been killed. B, that person he anointed for king would have been killed. C, that person's family would have been killed. And the people of Bethlehem fearfully questioned because they knew what was that this could be something, uh-uh. And Samuel did not lie, he just did not tell the whole truth because he did not want them to be fearful and he did not want news to get out. He said, I have come to have sacrifices to the Lord. Please bring the house of Jesse as well. I wonder what they thought. Jesse was a leader in the town, but bring the house of Jesse, not just Jesse. Wow. And Samuel obeyed the Lord. In 1 Samuel 16, verses 12 through 13, he chose the youngest, he chose the most unprepared, he, let's stop, God, chose the one who was described as ruddy and fair eyes. In other words, he was handsome. He had the eyes that would melt the hearts of ladies. 
He was handsome. He was not battle-worn. He did not have any idea what he was doing as far as king. And here he is. He is anointed as king. And then there's the result, the story to tell. <clears throat> we find that in 1 Samuel 16, verses four, verse 14, all the way through chapter 17. David was chosen to play the lyre, which was like a small mini harp for Saul because the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul and he was, had a troubling spirit about him. And someone was found who was good at music and happened to be David. The one who he didn't know had been anointed as his successor. And he brought that young man, David, in. But by this time, time had passed. He had become a man of valor. If you look in 1 Samuel 16, 18, it says David had become a man of valor. In other words, he had grown up a little bit. From playing the lyre and tending the sheep to playing for the king who he would succeed. He, I bet he kept his mouth shut. Sometimes, folks, you don't tell it all. David was initially loved by Saul. And became Saul's armor bearer as well. He was evidently enough, strong enough and big enough now to bear the armor of Saul the king. Unknowingly having David see what a king would do. David was being prepared for what God had prepared for him. In watching Saul, he got the inner workings of the basics of what a king does and how a king responds and acts. I do not know what God has brought you through or what God is bringing you through or what God will take you to. But I'm going to share this with you. Can I do that in an encouragement again? You may be going through things with jobs that you're not sure of. You're going through things with automobiles. Ouch, my pocketbook hurts. You may be going things with family. Oh my, why do they have to do that? You may have gone through some separation syndrome for a myriad of reasons. But God is taking you through this so that he can prepare you for something or someone or, some, uh, or whatever else. Because God, A, does not make mistakes. B, has a perfect plan. And C, wants you ready for what he's got ready for you. Becoming fishers of men. A story to tell. An experience to tell. And tell it. David heard the mocking of God by this big guy called Goliath. Everybody was terrified of him. If you translate the mathematics that's given in the King James and the ESV and the New King James and the other Jameses and a few other Bills and Joes and Bobs, other translations, this man was right at 10 feet tall. Huge. And he wasn't just a skinny 10 feet tall. He was robust, he was big, he was muscular, and he was a terrifying person to the Philistines, much less to the children of Israel, and they sat in mass afraid of him. And David came to Saul and said, why don't you let me go out there because this man is mocking the living God. Ladies and gentlemen, in our culture, in our churches, we will have people that mock the living God. They may seem like they're a big threat, but I've got news for you. The God that I serve and the God that I preach and the God that I see in this word of his that tells me about him is bigger than the bigness of them. And David went to Saul and asked for him, and Saul said, What do you think you are, you little pipsqueak? Not literally, but that's the Micah David Rogers interpretation, not based on the lexicon, but just based on the Micah David Rogers interpretation. And what did David say? Here's the story to tell. When I was tending sheep, I had bear came up, come up my sheep, and I grabbed him by the chin, and God delivered him from me. This giant isn't as big and mean as a bear. While I was tending sheep, lions came at my sheep, and I grabbed them, and God delivered them into my hand. This man is not as big and bad and mean as lions. God has given me the victory. God will do it again. We used to sing in Sunday school, Only a boy named David, Only a rippling brook, Only a boy named David, And five little stones he took. I don't know if Goliath had four big brothers or not. 
But he put one in a sling, a, an, the only weapon he knew front, back, inside, outside, and was extremely accurate and good at. In essence, he was maybe three feet from the man because he came up to the man, and the man came up to him. And about that time, he let fly with that rock, and it hit him right there. Do you realize how much of an angle that is an almost impossibility of doing? Ouch. Have we thought of it? And David recounted his story and his experience. Do you have an experience? Is there a time when you encounter Jesus or God doing something to use and for you that is so miraculous and so incredible that you cannot deny it, cannot explain it, cannot understand it but except but God back to grace, but God back to him acting, but God in your life and for your life so that he can be glorified through your life and through your testimony. I was listening to an older sermon by a mentor of mine, Dr. Paul Cunningham. And since he was a pastor of College Church of the Nazarene and became a general superintendent, that's the only two ministries he ever had. He pastored when he was little, became the college church, he, he pastored a big church, then he became a general superintendent. He said this, it may be that the reason we aren't telling is because we're not having an experience in Jesus. You talk about an ouch. It may be the reason we are not telling an experience in Jesus is because we are not having. He didn't say haven't had, he said having an experience in Jesus. He went on to explain it's got to be fresh every day or it falls by the way. You, I, we are, are supposed to be fishing for men. Holy followers are holy soldiers to be holy fishers for all men. Are we growing together? Are we loving each other? Are we making disciples? Truly? I'm excited that we are starting a new group with Stephanie. That's making disciples. Oh, she's not here. She's with the kids. So thank you, Stephanie. She's not here, but thank you. But are we making disciples? I would love to see a men's group. I would love to see a women's group meeting a couple times a month. But if all we do is meet and talk over this, that, or something else, and don't introduce people to Jesus, we have not done anything about fishing for men. Karen will have a... Next week we will be on vacation. Then we'll be, both be back for a week, and then Karen will be gone that next week after that for a conference and for a gathering. And she... I know her, she's got a big mouth, and I mean that graciously. She'll tell people, here's where we go to church, we'd love to have you. And she'll tell everything that she can. But are we as a congregation doing it? Point one is an experience to tell and tell it. Then there's point two. Have a boldness to be and become it. Let's look about the shepherds. Yes, it's a Christmas story, but so what? There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. I mesmerized it in the King James Version, so it's okay. And the angel of the Lord said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. I tell you, I've directed choirs, but I do not know what it would be like to have an entire choral section of angels singing and praising God and saying the same thing. 
The Bible goes on to say, And when they had gone away, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they made haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And they went out, and they told everyone about it. They had an encounter that could not be explained. An angel came down. They had an experience that could not be denied. They knew and witnessed that they had experienced something unusual. The angel came among them. The angel spoke to them. The angel came down and assured them. And he was, that one angel was in a heavenly company. And they had a revelation that could not be understood, yet could not be misunderstood. Good news, great joy to all, for all go. They had a reinforcement with them, heavenly hosts. Do we come in with such expectancy here that we experience the holiness of God here? Have we been so busy trying to not only do our jobs and not only buy our groceries and not only get gasoline in the gas cans, Ray, we got it. And not only this, that, or something else, but burden for people. That when we come in here, we're expecting greatly and exhausted tremendously. And needing to take in incredibly. Are we getting that? Am I communicating? Please, folks, I want this to be an encouragement. I'm not trying to lecture you. I'm not. I want us to be encouraged to be the fishers of men that we are commanded to be. Are we, am I, are you really fishing for men? Holy followers are holy soldiers to be holy fishers of all men. Point one was an experience. Point two was a boldness. And now point three is this. Have a purpose to fulfill and pursue it. Have a purpose to fulfill and pursue it. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, and Acts 1, verse 8, all the way through Revelation 22. Now, that's a lot of verses to put on the, on the overhead. Acts 1, 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. That is, ladies and gentlemen, a holy purpose to be pursued and to fulfill. We can tell of the Great Commission, but are we doing it? Go, make, be disciples that make disciples. Be disciples that make disciples. I've got to tell you, folks, this sermon kept me awake a lot this last week. and It's been rewritten more than most because it's just that weighty on this pastor's heart. You see, I'm convicted. I want to be doing more. I want to see more. We've connected with multiple families this week that if all of them were here, not the ones that are normally here that are, that are here intermittently either that are gone, but new ones, we would have 15 to 20 more people here today. Well, it's not about numbers in a way it is. Go into the highways and hedges. Fish for men. Compel them to come in. Fish for men. That my house will be full. But what it's more about is being a disciple. That fishes for men. That then we make disciples. We could tell of Acts 2, after the Holy Spirit descended, everyone had to tell. They could not get away from it. 
You may remember the story well. They had gone through the whole process. They had gotten in unity and in one accord. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they spoke in the languages of the people around them. And they went out and professed and talked to others about this message. And the response was not, oh, they must have a special gift. It's what in the world? We hear this in our own language. They were given the inability of the impossibility to speak in the absolute need of where of way people can understand. And what's going on, 120 of them, to the whole thing of Pentecost, to thousands of people there. And then Peter preached, and 3,000 men plus women and children were touched. They could not help it. They had a holy purpose to fulfill, and they pursued it. We can tell of Acts 4, 1 through 20. Acts 4, 1 through 20. Peter and John are brought in before the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. They were the more complaining people. They were the more fault-finding people, and they had the power to snuff their life out right then, right there, and right away. And you've got to quit speaking about this man named Jesus. And they responded with this, we cannot help but speak what we have seen, experienced, and heard. I don't know, maybe Dr. Cunningham was right. Perhaps we don't say because we have not experienced it. We could tell of the rest of the church of Acts when the church was established even amid riot, rejection, infiltration, apostles murdered, great dispersion, persecution, and more. And yet the church exploded because why? They stayed on the message and would not give in. We could tell of churches that sprang up from house churches. Bereans that sought the scriptures daily to make sure it was right. And on and on. We could tell of Paul going to prison for his faith that it would end up costing him his life. We could tell of Peter who quoted Leviticus, you be holy even as I am holy. And he was later murdered as well. And we could tell of the John on the Isle of Patmos. He had been beaten so bad that he did not die, but barely. And then he was castigated off on that isle where the worst of the worst were. And he got the book of Revelation given to him that he wrote. But we can also tell of the need to be fishers of men in our own mission field. Our own life. The Great Commission. Being the helos that fly down into the rash patties of people's issues. With God the Holy Spirit walking with us to us and through us. He is with us always even unto the end of the earth. And he is the one that's laying down the recon firepower. Have we truly been transformed into being fishers of men? Holy followers are holy soldiers that are to be holy fishers for all men. Point one was experience and share it. Point two was boldness and be it. Point three was purpose and fulfill it. And point four, point four, have a burden and bear it. I'm going to be able to share some of these scriptures with you on the overhead. They're short enough that I can do that, so please bear with me and thank you for your patience. I know it's different. Have a burden and bear it. Let's look at Elijah, 1 Kings 9. Verses 10 and 14, verse 14 basically restates it in the same thing. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altar, they've killed your prophets of the sword, and I, even I, am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. It was a burden for the fact that the children of Israel had departed from the God of Israel. They had forsaken God. 
They had watered down his theology. They had said, well, we got to do this or we won't be kind and gracious. <clears throat> we can't be evangelical and have them come to us. No, because in so doing, you ended up becoming like them. <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> I, even I, am left alone, and they're coming after me, burdened for his own life. In the harvest field you labor, there's a work for us to do. It is much when God is in it, and he won't forsake you. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown. And you and I and we can win it if we go in Jesus' name. We can look at Jeremiah weeping for the people of Israel over their sin. Their sin was going to lead to condemnation by God. Jeremiah 3.21, a voice on the bare heights is heard. The weeping and pleading of Israel's sons because they have perverted their way. They have forgotten their God. Folks, in any denomination, in any church, in any association, there's going to be people who want to pervert the way of God. Does it break your heart? I don't mean, does it, do you say it breaks your heart, but is there brokenness where you cannot help but have some kind of a physiological response because of the emotional and the spiritual weight? Of it all. They have perverted your way. They have forgotten their God. There is a man who wants to pollute the church of the Nazarene that says he's an agnostic, but that we ought to change to be like him. Not in my church. And I'm going to tell you, folks, as long as we stay the course, as long as we fish for the men, as long as we are broken and burdened and poured out, God will help us to have experiences that we can share. He will have us, have us, give us boldness that we can become, and he will give us a purpose that we will fulfill. We could go to Jeremiah 8.21, the wound of the daughter of my people is my... For, for the wound of the daughter of my people is my heart wounded. I mourn in dismay has taken hold of me. I mourn and dismay has taken hold of me. Their sin, their sin that those who once knew, once were part of the children of God, once were part of the fellowship of believers, is the cause for tears and brokenness. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. He wept often for his people. Do we see it? Well, let's look at Jesus. Jesus is teaching as well. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who says to me, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Verse 22, and on that day you will say, did we not prophesy? Did we not in, in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do the mighty works? Works, folks, are not always the will of God you can do the, the platform, you can do the performance, but that's not always the will of God. The will of God is that you have a living, dynamic relationship with Him and are sharing Jesus with others. Verse 23, and I will declare to them who say things like this, i.e., I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. But weren't they doing good things? Yes. Weren't they casting out demons? They. No, Jesus casts out demons. 
They were taking credit for what God was doing with them, despite them, but we're not doing the will of the Father and not being the will of the Father. Are we broken? Are we devastated in our spirit for the souls of these and those who are not here, for the souls of those we know, for the spirits of those who will go to a devil's hell without Jesus? Sometimes I think we need to get a glimpse of what hell is truly like. So let's do a little bit of that. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. John is on the Isle of Patmos, and it's about the last record-bearing message in the Bible. It is not on the overhead. I will read it from my Bible. I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. Earth and sky were gone. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another, one, another book was opened, which is the book of life. Books were opened, and now the book of life, the book that gives life, eternal life, that your name is in. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, plural, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. They were all then judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Did you notice in the books, but not the book of life, they were not there. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. If anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into fire. Ladies and gentlemen, that's terrifying. People we know, maybe even people here, when it comes down to it, will not be with us will not be in the presence of Jesus eternally there. There's a song that says, I am ordained. One that was written in 2022. Had to look. I am ordained to speak in the name of Jesus. I'm ordained to tell the story of the cross. I am ordained to tell the blessed message. I am ordained to tell how much it cost. I am ordained. Can I make a strong thought and encouragement as well as an idea to you. If you claim the name of Jesus, you're ordained. Does not mean you're ordained as an elder in the church that you go to or other churches that you're coming from, but you were ordained. You were wholly separated because of a holy experience into your eternal spirit to make you one of God's children. I'm ordained to speak the name of Jesus. I'm ordained to tell the story of the cross. I am ordained to tell the blessed message. I am ordained to tell how much it cost. I am ordained. I think you know this one. 
Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to win that soul for thee. Join with me again. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me. And may I always do my part to through a ritual and, and, and just do things the way we've always done them. It's too easy to just get used to how things have been done. And it's too challenging to be risky, to bring people into our homes once a month, once a week, and just have coffee. Or just touch base with them. And then say, how can I pray with you and for you? Well, I don't even think, well, then I'm going to pray for you right now. And then break into prayer. But if they say a specific area, just pray with them right then. We get to where we want our time. That you use, that's commitment. But we don't make our life, your life, and your time, that's surrender. You have called us, Lord, to be fishers of men. You have called us, Lord, to go into the recon and the rice paddies of life to rescue the people needing rescued from the enemy of the soul because you are with us always. You are the one laying down the cover. Sometimes we forget, as bad as it can be, and we're sensing it, that it's in the heavenlies that it's all out war for us. But Lord, let us never forget we are called to produce fruit, and we produce fruit by being fishers of men. Pray, Lord, right now. Right now that we would encounter from you a name and a family that needs Jesus. Our minds, our hearts, our memories that need Jesus. And from that, the people that we can go to, that we would go to, a telephone call, even today, an email, a personal encounter that we would share Jesus and we would fish for men because that is our MOS, the ministry, occupational service. We are called to fish for all men. Lord, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me.
Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.